Welcome to the Triple Point Podcast, a podcast for those working at the intersection of weather and climate, technology, and society. We focus on innovators and leaders working to make our communities safe and resilient in the face of a dynamic and ever-changing world. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Harris, and I'm recording this week's show from my evacuation headquarters in Georgia. I relocated my family away from the Florida West Coast ahead of Hurricane Ian. Jeff is further inland and contending with what's left of Ian's eye wall after the storm made landfall mid-afternoon on Wednesday. By the time we release this episode, the storm is expected to have made a second landfall affecting Georgia, the Carolinas, and Virginia with flooding rains, wind, and storm surge. And ironically enough, we had already planned for this week's Triple Point podcast to be all about the built environment. And what better time to talk about weather and climate in the context of the built environment than a major landfalling hurricane. So the built environment, it's where we live, work, and recreate. It's made up of buildings, roadways, railways, marine channels, communications pathways, and so much more. The population around Fort Myers, Florida, for instance, has ballooned from 50,000 in 1960 to nearly 800,000 today. I encourage you to take a look at the Google Earth engine time-lapse of Landsat imagery and watch the additional infrastructure affected by Hurricane Ian. Our built world is constantly under siege by weather and climate elements, and ideally we could economically build things to last forever. But resources have limitations, right? The amount, the costs, the physical durability of materials is just not unlimited. And we're watching this unfold as Hurricane Ian plows its way through Florida over the last 48 hours. So in terms of that, you probably saw footage of the hurricane coming ashore, saw the storm water surging through the streets of Naples and Fort Myers in particular, coming across Sanibel Island, washing out bridges to the island and Captiva Island. You've got inland flooding all the way up into Orlando with drainage systems overwhelmed and unable to handle a foot or more of rain. In fact, several weeks ago, I was in downtown Sarasota, and just during a normal summer rainstorm in less than 10 minutes of very, very heavy rain, we had flooding up to our knees, which is a simple rainstorm. So you can imagine what a hurricane would do with several inches of wind-driven rain, coastal storm surge, and more. One of the things that we look at when we talk about the built environment are things like building codes and how they're changing. Since Hurricane Andrew back in the early 1990s, building codes have been updated significantly to essentially create stronger structures like tie-downs for roofs, for instance, so they don't fly off. There's a lot of other changes that have happened since then as a result of the storms, and some of these are required by insurance companies today. And then if you scale forward from Hurricane Andrew to Hurricane Sandy in 2012, the economic cost for that hurricane on the built environment was nearly $70 billion. And I'm sure you remember pictures of flooded out New York subways and so much more. Impacts on the built environment from Hurricane Sandy prompted the White House to stand up a task force where they looked at a wide range of things like impacts on the built environment. Fast forward again a couple years to 2014, and the American Meteorological Society held its annual meeting in Georgia. That year I had a chance to attend, and the entire theme of the annual meeting was focused on the built environment. From a climate perspective, the most recent National Climate Assessment from back in 2018 devoted a whole chapter to the built environment as well. And there's various tools out there to look at weather impacts to the built environment. 
One tool that I looked at recently was the University of California's Berkeley Center for Built Environment. But like many current tools, it's very focused on historical climate. And as we know, the climate's not stationary. It's constantly changing. And it's important that future tools incorporate those changes so we can plan for our buildings to last decades, not just years. So one thing that NOAA is doing is forging a partnership with the University of Maryland and the American Society of Civil Engineers to use climate change modeling to build structures incorporating more climate change modeling or climate change projections into their future calculations. So what about the industry? The built environment industry is massive. Impacts of weather and climate on the built environment are very expensive as we've seen with Hurricane Sandy example, and we're likely to see with Hurricane Ian. That load is often carried by governments at the municipal, state, and federal level, and ultimately the taxpayer. Also within the built environment industry, business continuity plans and understanding weather and climate risks to business infrastructure is important both here in the United States and across the world. From an impact perspective, companies are looking at extreme weather. For instance, Amazon had a distribution plant affected by tornadoes earlier this year where they had at least one, if not multiple fatalities. And they saw significant damage, obviously, to the infrastructure, the building as well. Industry and communities are also looking heavily at water and hydrological modeling in this area. Jeff and I talked in earlier episodes of the Triple Point about flooding in Dallas and Houston, for instance. As more concrete gets put in place in urban centers and elsewhere, that increases the threat of flooding because that water just doesn't have anywhere to go. It hits those impervious services and channels into flooding effects. You've also got urban heat, wind impacts, cooling and heat load impacts on infrastructure and energy from a planning perspective. Air quality is a huge issue as we talk about construction of transportation and other matters. You've got companies out there that are employing nature-based solutions that also need to incorporate weather and climate information from a long change perspective. You've also got companies out there that are employing nature-based solutions that need to incorporate weather and climate information as well. From a long change perspective, we got things going on like sea level rise, coastal inundation, daytime flooding. All those things need to be incorporated into master planning for communities and other things. And that gets into the modeling of future climates. We can't continue to rely on the past climate to act the same. We need to look at how the climate is changing and use future climate change modeling. There's a short educational module on the weather and climate impacts to the built environment that was produced by the University Corporation of Atmospheric Research, or UCAR. We'll put a link in the show notes. In terms of technologies, the standard weather and climate technologies are being used by companies. But also more and more companies are beginning to use climate change modeling to project those future climates. And as far as the industry goes, there's not one company that's providing holistic weather and climate output for the entire built environment. You have several weather and climate companies providing, I would say, a smorgasbord of services across the industry with a few climate companies like Jupiter Intelligence, for instance, working with the finance and insurance industries on the built environment. You also have companies partnering directly with municipalities to provide hyperlocal weather and hydrological predictions for those communities where, say, the government may not have the capacity to be able to provide at the local level. 
and they can tailor it to their local water infrastructure. But you do have the federal government, as I talked about earlier, partnering at a much more strategic level with the American Society for Civil Engineers on using future climate projections in addition to historical climate information. So in terms of gaps in this area, I would say business continuity planning, incorporating weather and climate into those is important. We talked in a previous episode about supply chain risk. The same can be said about incorporating weather and climate risks into infrastructure that support these industries. It's also important to look at the gap of using future climate-informed projection data and getting it to a downscaled level that can be utilized by businesses at the plant level, at the industry level, rather than very coarse, low-resolution climate model data that's out there right now. Also from a gap perspective, it's important to look at data fused with vulnerability and socioeconomic data. Communities like Jackson, Mississippi are seeing this firsthand as they've seen flooding over the summer. One tool I will point out is First Street Foundation's risk factors. They look at wildfire, flooding, and heat, and this tool is freely available for non-commercial use. We'll also put a link in the show notes on that as well. From a gap perspective, it's important to look at what we do here in the United States and see if we can scale that to inform international built environment using weather and climate technologies. It's important to do that as we look at developing countries and how they sustain their built environment as the climate changes. Well, that's our show for the week. Tune in the next couple weeks as we pivot to covering various weather sensing technologies from land, air, and sea to space. We're also preparing a cool episode with a special guest for us to talk about the growing Earth observation technology sector as part of that discussion. Well, we hope you enjoyed today's Triple Point Podcast. If you liked it, subscribe to our newsletter at triplepointpodcast.com. Give us a shout and a five-star rating on your favorite podcast station and tell your friends about it. Or you can email us at triplepointpodcast at the number 81degrees.com. Until next time, have a great week.